You're listening to the Fresh Hell Podcast. Fresh Hell contains stories of a disturbing and often graphic nature and is intended for a mature audience. Please don't let your kids listen to this, or they might turn out like us. Hi friends, it's Annie, just outside hot and sweaty and thunderstormy Boston, Massachusetts. This is Fresh Hell, and I'm sorry to be the one to tell you that it's just me this week. But please don't worry, Johan is doing alright, nothing to worry about. We've just been having kind of a year, so apologies that you've just got me talking to you today. We hope you liked last week's episode of Water Park Tragedies. We didn't actually intend this to be a two-part episode. It was a little bit like when we did the Velisca Axe murders case, where we just kept finding more stories that we felt those stories had to be told too. And this episode, like last week, is covering terrible deaths at water parks. And today, I'm going to talk about the horrific and preventable death of Caleb Schwab. And then I'm going to tell you about Action Park, a water park with other attractions in Vernon, New Jersey, that even as an 80s kid seems shockingly negligent, allegedly. And I'm again talking about the deaths of children and adults in this episode. Okay, first up is Schlitterbahn, which means slippery road in German. Of course, Johanna, I'm missing you for the episode with all the German names, but they chose this name to capitalize on the large number of German immigrants in New Braunfels, Texas, where their first park was located. The park was owned and run by the Henry family, and before long, Schlitterbahn was building new parks and became the winner of the best water park in the world by Amusement Today for over 20 years in a row. In 2009, Schlitterbahn opened its first park outside of Texas in Kansas City, Kansas. It was a seasonal water park opening every May. The park had over a mile of connected river rides and for the most part, a decent safety record. It's important to realize though that when it opened, Kansas state regulations for amusement parks were, well, let's just say they were lax to say the least. Companies needed an annual inspection, but if I understand everything I read correctly, they were allowed to self-inspect and didn't have any obligation to report findings or injuries to the state. And things were okay, for a while. Until March 6, 2013, Nicholas Nico Benavidez, a seasonal employee at Schlitterbahn South Padre, was fatally injured when an overhead gate in the wave pool slammed down on his head and then pinned him to the wall. He slipped into a coma and was on life support before his organs were donated when he passed away on March 11th. He was 20 years old and had been working at the park for five weeks. Nico's death meant that OSHA was getting involved. And OSHA, I'm going to explain what they are directly from their website. So, quote, In 1970, Congress created the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, or OSHA, to ensure safe and healthful working conditions for working men and women by setting and enforcing standards and by providing training, outreach, education, and assistance. End quote. It's basically, it's the company that ensures safe work practices. So OSHA investigated after the death of Nico, and they found one willful violation and five serious violations. And here's what they wrote about the violations that they found when they inspected the park, that the self-inspections had just 
somehow missed. And again, this is from OSHA. We'll, we'll link to this in our sources as always. So, quote, a willful violation was cited for failing to develop, document, and utilize procedures to control potentially hazardous energy for equipment such as, but not limited to, the wave generation machine. This condition exposed workers to being crushed by equipment inadvertently energized and to electrical or struck by hazards. A willful violation is one committed with intentional knowing or voluntary disregard for the law's requirements, or with plain indifference to worker safety and health. The five serious violations cited involve failing to provide standard railings on the open sides of all exposed stairway and stair platforms, conduct inspections of the energy control procedures, train workers to recognize hazardous energy sources and procedures, guard water pumps with rotating shafts and firmly secure an electrical junction box to the wall. A serious violation occurs when there is a substantial probability that death or serious physical harm could result from a hazard about which the employer knew or should have known. End quote. Schlitterbahn refined a total of $96,000, which in my opinion is not enough. And of course, the part contested the findings, eventually paying only $66,000 in penalties instead of the original proposed uh, 96. Nico isn't mentioned as often as Caleb is, and his story just broke my heart. Honestly, it brought me right back to, to being 28 years old and married for 13 months, sitting in the ICU with my late husband and waiting for his organs to be donated after he was hit by an elderly driver. So we really want to send our love and sympathy to his family as well and make sure that you, our listeners, know about him. And it seems things were relatively quiet at the popular water park chain until they decided to build Verucht. 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 Johanna, I don't know if Verucht. Is it Verucht, like spooked, or Verucht, like fucked? I mean, I guess either way, it's all right. Um, Apparently, it means insane in German, and it's fitting because this entire thing seemed like a bad idea from the beginning. Jeff Henry was apparently inspired to build Verrucht when someone from the Travel Channel show Extreme Water Parks, that's extreme with just an X, no E, that's how you know it's seriously extreme. They met him at a uh, trade show and they were like, hey, what are you up to? And boom, all of a sudden, this idea is born. In a July 9th, 2014 article for USA Today, Steve Larace writes about the opening of the park having been delayed three times because of safety reasons. And he interviews Jeff Henry, writing, quote, we had many issues on the engineering side, says Schlitterbahn Water Park and Resort co-owner Jeff Henry, who created Verrucht with Schlitterbahn senior designer John Schooley. Our correction coefficients were all off. Models didn't show air and water friction. A lot of our math was based on roller coasters at first, and that didn't translate to a water slide like this. No one had ever done anything like this before. Henry, whose nicknames include the Wizard of Wet and Lord of the Slides, says that as a proud Texan, he wanted the world's tallest slide to be in the United States. Quote, the world's largest slide had been in Brazil, and we couldn't have that, he says. I'm from Texas. It was a matter of pride. End quote. Okay. First of all, that's some Proverbs 1618 bullshit right there. Am I right? Also, okay, is it just me? But do you think he made up the Wizard of Wet nickname himself and then like spread it? spread it at a meeting or I don't know. I think he came up with that one by himself. Just a hunch, allegedly. 
in building Verukt, there was a lot of trial and error. I'm going to say mostly error. Early tests showed rafts flying in the air off the slide. Sandbags simulating riders in the raft were flying off, landing in all sorts of areas that would mean death were it a human and not a sandbag. So they ran tests at night so that people couldn't see rafts being launched in the air, and they attached safety nets stretched up between arched metal poles that created an emergency backup. They also made it safer for the maintenance workers. But they finally built Verukt, and sure enough, it was certified as the tallest water slide in the world by the Guinness Book of World Records. The drop is 168 feet 7 inches, or about 51.3 meters. So it's higher than Niagara Falls. I think the first steep drop down is actually supposed to be like going over the falls. Again, this doesn't sound like fun to me, and there's no way I could have climbed up to the tower anyway. I'd have had to, like, launch myself onto the rafts that were going up the conveyor belt and then just cling to it like a fucking spider monkey until I got to the top. But listen, that's not happening with these shoulders. So it's fine. But I saw some interview. I watched like all of the YouTube videos on this. Uh, Lots of news coverage, different interviews. That's what I do when Opus is asleep on my lap and I can't move. And so in one of them, I think it's Jeff Henry and he's talking to, I think, the mayor on top of the stairs where the slide starts and he's saying, oh, can't you feel it sway? Which Paul does that to me mostly on bridges and I hate it because I'm so afraid of heights. But the water park is across from the Kansas City Motor Speedway, which I think is mostly NASCAR. And so Henry's saying how, you know, we have to get evening NASCAR events going. We can set the fireworks displays off from the top of Verukt and, you know, the whole city will be able to see them. And isn't this going to be great? And I think the town really was legitimately excited about this. The Speedway's popularity had led to more restaurants, an outlet mall, and other businesses that were attractive for people to go off, you know, shopping and having fun for the day. And adding the water park and its planned resort would be another boon to business in Kansas City. Because it wasn't just a water park. Many of Schlitterbahn parks were modeled after Disney, and so they had shopping and lodging on site. I'd never heard of these parks before uh, this incident occurred, but if you're in the middle of Texas or if you're in Kansas, you're pretty far from either of the Disney resorts and the ocean. So I can absolutely see why, you know, huge water parks like this would be so popular. All right, let's talk about Verukt. Verukt. Riders sit single file in a raft, three per raft, and are secured to the raft with Velcro straps across the chest and waist, just like a modern day seatbelt. The raft would hit speeds between 60 and 70 miles per hour or up to 113 kilometers. And after that first drop, your raft would then go up a five-story, 55-foot incline with Schlitterbahn's master blaster jets propelling it forward before taking you back downhill again. The slide also had issues deciding who could ride and eventually would only have a requirement that all riders must be 54 inches, so four and a half feet or 137.16 centimeters tall. I believe originally they had an age requirement of 16, recommended by a safety expert, but they lowered it to 15 and then to 14, and then they dropped the age requirement altogether as long as riders met the height requirement, and the combined weight of the three riders was between 400 and 550 pounds, which is 28.5 to 39 stone, or 181 to 249 kilograms. Any less or more, and the raft might go violently airborne. 
Here's my favorite description of experiencing the ride. This is from a great article entitled Jeff Henry, Verrucht, and the Men Who Built the Great American Water Park by Brian Curtis. He writes about his experience on the ride when they opened for the press two years before the death of Caleb. This was published on July 9th, 2014. Quote, on the ground, before beginning the ascent to the top of Verrucht, you are weighed on a large scale. The slide can accommodate two or three riders, provided their combined weight is between 400 and 550 pounds. I was joined on the scale by Chris, a member of the American Coaster Enthusiasts. We fit snugly into the range. We kept our shirts on. Next, a Schlitterbahn employee read a terrifying disclaimer. Y'all understand that the activity bears a risk which may result in injury, death, illness, disease, or physical or mental damage to the participant. If you don't die on the way down Verrucht, you die on the way up. There are 264 stairs. For anyone experiencing that red fox clutches his chest feeling, panic buttons are located on the 25th, 105th, 145th, 185th, and 225th stairs. At the 75th, 145th, and 215th stair, signs remind you not to spit on persons below. This assumes you have any remaining saliva. At the 245th stair, you are told you are the same height as Niagara Falls. At the 246th step, a sign announces, wow, you made it. 17 stories above Kansas, Chris and I were weighed again, in case we'd lost 10 pounds between the ground and the summit. We were tended to by three Schlitterbahn workers. They put us in a blue raft. I sat in the middle seat, Chris behind me. The front seat was vacant. A park worker secured a Velcro strap over my waist and another over my chest. The sensation of falling is short-lived. After a half-second, deceleration rails on either side of the slide slow you. Henry had installed them because he feared the rafts were going down Verrucht too quickly. For a tender half-second, I got that cradled-in-God's-loving-arms feeling. Then the brakes released, that he-hath-forsaken-us feeling, and we covered the remaining distance at a speed somewhere between 40 and 45 miles an hour. The G-forces kicked in, and the world became indistinct. The raft reached the bottom of the initial drop, and Henry's nozzle drive system kicked in, launching us uphill five stories, higher than any master blaster had lifted a raft before. At the apex, the raft lifted off the slide a few inches. We slammed back into the flume, descended a final hill, and came to stop in a water-filled runout. End quote. Okay, so that entire thing sounds awful to me. <laughs> I know it's going to sound really fun to some of you listening, and lots of media went down it without incident. Speaking of media, you remember that Verrucht was on that TV show about water parks. That's how it all got started. But I could not find the footage of it anywhere. It looks like the Travel Channel seems to have cut it from all their sources, which I absolutely get, not wanting to glamorize the ride after Caleb's death. But initially, and certainly for the first two years, the ride was a huge success. Amusement Today even awarded the ride Best New Ride in a Water Park. Full disclosure, I'm not sure if that's like winning a Michelin star or if it's like winning a J.D. Power Award, but either way, it's nice to win an award, isn't it? All right, so now we're going to skip ahead a little over two years. 
It's August 7th, 2016, so four years ago next week, and Schlitterbahn was doing an elected officials day, a promotion where state officials and their families could go to the park for free. Scott Schwab was a state representative for nearby Olathe at the time, and he, his wife Michelle, and their four boys went to the water park that day. Caleb, age 10, was known for his love of the outdoors, and he loved playing outside. According to his mother, he was a big snuggler, still enough to enjoy cuddles, which... This detail just kills me. I just so vividly remember my nephew at that age. Okay. So Caleb and his older brother, 12-year-old Nathan, they wanted to go on the slide and their parents said, okay, uh, but reminded them to stick together and the parents stayed with the two younger siblings. Nathan went down the slide first without any issue and so he was standing waiting at the bottom of the ride for his brother Caleb to come down. I'm pretty sure the reason they had to go separately was just the weight requirements. They'd have to go in separate rides with the bigger adults. So Caleb, who I believe was about 74 pounds or 33 and a half kilograms or 5.3 stone. He sat in the raft with the two women and the following is from an article in Esquire magazine by Timothy Bella. Quote, Caleb was in raft B joined by sisters in the seats behind him. The 10-year-old was obeying all the rider instructions given to him, but the raft that was carrying Schwab and the sisters allegedly had, quote, a propensity for going abnormally fast and going airborne more frequently than other rafts, end quote, according to an indictment that would be filed later. Tyler Miles, the operations manager of the park, had received 17 separate staff reports during the 2015 and 2016 summer seasons about how Raft B required maintenance, including five from that week alone. When the raft pushed off, the 73-pound Schwab was in the front seat. On its way up the second hill of Verrucht, Raft B went airborne, colliding with a metal pole and netting meant to prevent riders from being thrown from the ride. End quote. So the two sisters whose names are in that article, but I've just redacted them for privacy, they suffered terrible head and face injuries and lifelong psychological trauma because 10-year-old Caleb was decapitated. His body lay at the bottom of the slide. The water was now dark red with his blood, and his brother saw it all happen and ran to tell his parents, hardly able to speak, just screaming to them that Caleb came off the ride. The family tried to rush to where their son was, but they were thankfully kept away, but were told that there was nothing that anyone could do to help their 10-year-old son, Caleb, who was unfortunately dead. So this is every family's worst nightmare. I can't even imagine. And I watched something where they were interviewing Scott, and he was saying how Nathan really was struggling with what I call the guilty what-ifs. And that he felt, you know, he felt guilty for asking Caleb to go with him on the slide, something my sister and I did and have done as kids and adults. It's exactly the same in our situation. I'm two years older and we have done this our entire lives. I went parasailing with Moose when our aunt took us to Bermuda, even though I am absolutely terrified of heights because she really wanted to go and wouldn't do it alone. And even if I had died of fear, it still wouldn't have been her fault and I wouldn't be mad with her. It just really brought me to tears when I heard him say that this poor 12-year-old boy was blaming himself because I have spent a lifetime, it feels like, with those kinds of thoughts. You know, when my first husband was killed, I used to think all the time, you know, what if I had just given him an extra kiss before he left? If I hadn't taken longer at the grocery store than I'd planned? What if the 87-year-old woman who hit him realized that only driving on certain roads during the daytime probably means you're better off taking a cab? 
I've had the what ifs with every death of the people I love, and there have been too many of them, and it's awful. And so what I just want to say to Nathan on the very, very off chance he's listening to this and to anyone else who needs to hear this, because I'm positive that somebody does. If there's one thing I know about grief, it's that the what ifs will drive you mad. They will prolong your grieving. They will torture you. They will set you back when you were starting to do better. The what ifs are a way of self-sabotaging yourself when you feel you don't deserve any happiness. You didn't do anything wrong and neither did your brother. There's nothing you could have done differently. And so every time you feel a what if moment, just stop and instead try to think of a happy moment a happy memory, even little things, funny things, things they didn't like, fights you had. And if you can, write it down in a journal. Don't give in to the what-ifs because the last thing your loved one wants is you punishing yourself over something you had absolutely no control over. I don't mean to be preachy and I'm not a professional, but just please, please remember to be kind to yourself, even when it's really, really hard. And sometimes it is really, really hard. All right. So, there were a lot of issues found once people started to really look. Experts said that Caleb should have been in the middle seat for even weight distribution, not in the front seat, which contributed to the raft, which was only, I think, four or five pounds lighter than the maximum allowed, uh, lifting from the slide. They also said that this ride should have had shoulder restraints, which I agree with completely. I was absolutely stunned by Velcro seatbelts. Wait until you see a video of this ride uh, before the incident. It's It's... Yeah. People came forward with stories about how their seatbelts had failed and they were just hanging on to ropes inside the raft for dear life, how they'd been injured on the ride, just not as severely. They told park employees that their safety harnesses had come loose. They reported these issues and they felt like the people they were telling were listening to them and taking proper precautions, but they weren't. According to an article for Industrial Equipment News, Jim Shore writes, quote, State regulations of water slides and other amusement rides have faced scrutiny following Caleb's death. Kansas is known for its light regulation of amusement park rides, and the Texas-based company that operates Schlitterbahn lobbied legislators to help ensure that it remained responsible for its own inspections. Kansas mandates annual inspections of permanent amusement park rides, but allows private inspectors to do the checks, rather than requiring a state inspection. A document released by the State Department of Labor after Caleb's death showed that all Schlitterbahn's rides passed private inspections in June. End quote. That's terrifying, isn't it? And it seems Kansas legislators were so glad to have this new attraction to bring people in who would spend money that they just agreed to let the park self-inspect Disney style. And just so you know, there are still a lot of states. I mean, I would say two is a lot with this kind of situation. But there are, there are quite a few states that still have laws like this. So if you're thinking about going to a fair or an amusement park, maybe look up the inspection requirements in that state before you go. You might change your mind. I guess we should discuss some of the final accountability for this incident, or lack thereof. I'm not going to get too into the legal aspects, but please check out the sources for this episode if you'd like to take a deeper dive. It's an intoxicating blend of safety regulations and countless who-are-these-people moments. This whole episode, honestly. Enjoy. 
So on the 23rd of March, 2018, a grand jury finally issued an indictment charging Schlitterbahn and former director of operations, Tyler Austin Miles, with involuntary manslaughter, aggravated battery, aggravated child endangerment, and interference with law enforcement. The indictment accused the park of negligence, concealing design flaws, and downplaying the severity of previous injuries reported on the ride, which included concussions and back injuries. In the indictment, it says that Henry and Schooley, quote, lacked the technical expertise to design a properly functioning water slide, end quote, and did not perform standard engineering procedures or calculations on how the slide would operate. Instead, they used crude trial and error methods to test its performance out of haste to launch the ride. According to court documents, ride designer Schooley was quoted as saying, quote, if we actually knew how to do this and it could be done that easily, it wouldn't be that spectacular, end quote. Three days later, on March 26th, Henry was arrested in Texas, and the next day, on March 27th, the Kansas Attorney General's office released a new indictment against Jeff Henry, Schooley, and Henry and Sons Construction Company, which was owned by Schlitterbahn, charging them with second-degree murder in addition to 17 other felonies. Schooley was arrested at Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport after returning from a trip to China on April 2nd, 2018. The defendants were arraigned in April 2018, and the first first criminal trial began in October of that year, but on February 22, 2019, criminal charges were dismissed against Henry Schooley and Miles by Judge Robert Burns due to the fact that inadmissible evidence had been presented to the grand jury. I'm pretty sure that what happened is they'd been shown the episode of the Travel Channel's Extreme Water Park Show. The program showed test rafts flying off the ride and a really cavalier attitude from Henry and others about death. The judge called out the state's attorney for playing that footage, saying that it was, quote, fictional and dramatized version of events created for entertainment purposes, end quote. He also ruled it wasn't fair to have had an expert witness claiming that the designers of the slide were negligent and not following safety standards because the law at the time did not require that those standards be followed. The Schwab family received a $20 million settlement, and the women in the raft Caleb settled out of court for undisclosed sums. But however much it was, it wasn't enough. In November of 2016, Schlitterbahn announced that Verrucht would be demolished when the criminal investigation was over. They finally began dismantling the ride in November of 2018, and it was gone within two months. The park did not reopen for the 2019 season. Scott Schwab is now the Secretary of State of Kansas. And that is a very abbreviated telling of the story of Verrucht and the completely preventable death of Caleb Schwab. Seriously, though, it's so sad, so horrific, and I just, I think about his brother a lot, and I, I, I hope they've all had good therapy. He was 12. He was a baby, and he saw everything. It's, um, yeah, that's a hard one. But there's no way, I mean, we can't do water park deaths and not talk about Caleb Schwab. All right, so now we're going to try to lighten it up a little bit. And we're going to talk a little bit about the absolutely shocking shenanigans that went on at New Jersey's Action Park before bumming you out again with the tragedies that have happened there. But first, a quick word from our sponsor today, which is Best Fiends. Best Fiends is a fun, free mobile puzzle game where you complete challenges to collect bugs that will help you defeat the dreaded slugs who... 
are admittedly also pretty cute. People have been comparing levels now in the Facebook group, and we've been enjoying photos of our listeners' pet axolotls and frogs, which are my favorite. Life's a little harder than usual right now, and sometimes just taking a break and engaging your brain with puzzles can really help turn off the what-if worries for a little while, so... That's always a help, and you don't need to have Wi-Fi to play. So if you're in an area without Wi-Fi, you can still train your bug army and earn fun in-game rewards, even if your favorite wireless hangout is still closed. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust us, with over 100 million downloads, this 5-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R best fiends. Okay, back to our story. It's time to talk about Action Park. I know a lot of our listeners may know about the Johnny Knoxville movie that was based on Action Park called Action Point. Uh, Neither Johanna or I have seen it. Uh, We don't really have much of a desire to, but from what I heard, apparently all of the movies, like of all the movies that Johnny Knoxville has done, Action Point, um, which is loosely based on Action Park, is the one where he got the most injured which is saying something. So let's start with an ad for Action Park, and we will link to the YouTube video so that you can see the action for yourself. Just go to Action Park. There's no other park like it. When it's hot out, this is a great place to spend the day with your family. There are lots of big things for little kids to do. I love Action Park because it's so beautiful. It's like coming to Broadway. It's wonderful. Race like a pro. It's great. These are the most amazing rides in the world. I love it here. There's nothing in the world like Action Park. Okay, sounds fun, right? But when you see footage of this place, it's like... It's like if the guys from Animal House built a water park, or the character that Dan Aykroyd played on Saturday Night Live back in the day who used to sell toys like Bag of Glass. If you don't know what I mean, I'll post a link in our Facebook group. It's classic SNL, but it's completely fakakta. It's really, I'm completely amazed that there weren't more deaths at this place. It's truly shocking by today's standards, and it's it's shocking from my age point of view, and I rode in flatbed trucks and in the way back of cars with no seatbelts, so if my parents had taken and my sister Moose and I here to this place as a family fun part, they'd have noped the fuck out of there so fast and just found some place to take us for consolation ice cream or pinball or something because there is just no way in hell. All right, action park. It all started with an alpine slide. I know that this is part two of the water parks episode, but action park is in such a league of its own that we thought it was better to just cover it all today and focus on other terrible amusement park incidents in a different episode or two somewhere down the line. Not soon. We're not looking to ruin all of your theme parks. So it started with the Alpine Slide, and this is because a man who developed Action Park, Eugene Mulvihill, Eugene Mulvihill was the owner of a local ski resort, and he wanted year-round income. So in 1976, he did what many ski areas were doing, like Adatash in New Hampshire and Mount Cascade near Ottawa, and they opened a 2,700-foot-long, that's 820-meter, alpine slide down one of the steep ski trails. It cost $1.50 for a child and $2.50 for an adult to ride. You'd take the chairlift up to the top and then ride down on a plastic sled with a joystick control. If you pushed forward, you'd speed up, 
and pulling back would deploy the brakes and slow you down. The ads explained how mothers holding infants and grandmothers just loved the slide. It was so safe. But I'm not really sure this was true. It seems like most of the cars either went way too slow or dangerously fast. But it was a money-making success for the ski resort, who was adding more and more rides, like water slides and a go-kart track. The go-karts, by the way, were apparently really easy to mess with to get to ridiculously high speeds. So instead of 20 miles an hour, which would be a good speed for a go-kart, they were going 50 miles an hour or 80 kilometers an hour. They'd take them out on the main roads after hours. It was verrucked. But by 1980, the park was one of the country's earliest water parks. But there were problems. By 1980, the park was one of the country's earliest water parks, but there were problems, especially with the first moneymaker, the Alpine Slide. So, there were plenty of injuries and slide rash from skin coming in contact with the rough fiberglass slide. They also didn't time riders properly, like on anything. So, if someone was going slow and the person behind them was going fast, they'd get rammed and people would get thrown off their little sleds. So, one of my friends and friend of the show, she's one of the moderators in our Facebook group, Tammy, she was one of the people who told me she went to there all the time as a kid and I asked her to send me some memories and she did not disappoint. Point. And I'm doubly glad she sent me this information because we've got some great first-hand accounts. And so here's what Tammy had to say about the Alpine Slide. She says, When I was younger, I rode with my dad, who would go for long periods without the brake to terrify me. Oh, such a dad move. But who had pretty good control of the cart. As I got older, I would look at the concrete slide and consider just how much flesh would be peeled away if we were to flip going the speeds that we were going. Strangely, I felt much more at ease when I could ride my own cart and control the speed. No, Tammy, I get that. I don't think that's strange at all. I think I'd, I think I'd feel the same. All right, so she continues. As a preteen, I was pretty cautious, but when we revisited in our 20s, it was all about pushing the boundaries relative to the other people in your group to see who was the bravest and who was the biggest loser. We took a lot of risks, and luckily, we survived, but many others walked away with catastrophic injuries. It was very common to see people being tended to at the first aid station for road rash-type injuries and worse. One guy when I was little was missing his front teeth from a wipeout. Seriously, what the hell were we thinking? Ugh, it's awful. And the Alpine Slide was actually the first death in the park. In 1980, George Larson Jr., he was a 19-year-old park employee riding after the park had closed, and he flew off the Alpine Slide and hit his head on a rock, which is really not surprising when you look at photos of the slide. It just goes down this really steep mountain slope, but they didn't do any... There was no landscaping done for you know, in case somebody did come off. There's just like jagged rocks everywhere. And poor George Larson, uh, he, he didn't recover from his injuries. He passed away. And the park's response, they put hay bales down as a cushion over the rocks. So I don't know. Does hitting a hay bale before you hit the rocks slow you down that much? Who can say? One of you can. Despite this, the little attraction grew over time until it became an incredibly popular tourist destination, with over 75 rides, 40 of which were water slides. The park was doing a great business, and it was still called Action Park, as opposed to Civil Action Park, which is what the local attorneys called it, or Traction Park, which is what the visitors called it. And they loved it. Seriously, everyone I've spoken to about this place, they tell you how much they loved it and how many fond memories they have of it. Right after, they tell you about how many people died there, and they show you your 
scars. Or, to quote a Sports Illustrated article, this is a great article about the park by Jack McCallum, quote, If you just concentrate on the negative, says Andy Mulliville, whose late father Gene was the driving force behind Action Park, you're not getting the whole story. Gene didn't want to do the same old shit, where you just get strapped into something or it twirls around, says Andy, who usually refers to his dad as Gene. He wanted to take the idea of skiing, which is exhilarating because you control the action, and transfer it to an amusement park. There's inherent risk in that, but that's what makes it fun. End quote. Okay. For example... They had a similar ride to that first one in New Zealand at the New Zealand Exposition that we mentioned, where you skipped across the water at the end. But in this one, if you weren't perfectly balanced, it would not end well for you. So here's Tammy's memory. There was a slide where you sat on a sled and rolled down a hill. Do you remember the rides that you'd find at carnivals where you'd climb to the top with a sack and sit on it to slide down to the bottom? It was like that, only with a small hard sled over rollers. At the bottom, you landed in a pool. I guess the idea was to make you like a skipping stone, but I remembered that you just hit the water and be flung off head first, right into the water. I remember lots of swallowed water and one nosebleed. Okay, and I get that. That's more or less how I remember learning how to water ski. But still, every attraction at this place was a potential death trap. Action Park's most successful years were in the early and mid-1980s, before it had a reputation for being so dangerous. But in 1982, there would be two deaths. One was in the wave pool, or what Action Park visitors called the Grave Pool. One of the biggest issues with the park in general is that they had marketed to inner-city kids who often didn't know how to swim. They also heavily advertised in both Spanish and Polish neighborhoods, but once you arrived at the park, all of the rules, instructions, everything you needed to know to participate safely, it was only in English. And did I mention they sold alcohol? They had a beer garden, like a German-style beer garden, and even a microbrewery right next to the go-karts. And it seems they were super lax about checking ID or how intoxicated people were, so what could possibly go wrong? I read in a couple places that there were more places around where you could buy beer than there were for ice cream. Okay, the next death was that of 15-year-old George Lopez, who drowned in the wave pool, despite the wave pool having 12 lifeguards stationed around it, pretty much all teenagers. I found an article after the death that said his parents were suing the park and the lifeguards because their son was apparently underwater for over five minutes before the lifeguards noticed and pulled him out. It's incredibly sad that there would be others. Uh, I want to read an excerpt again from the Jack McCallum Sports Illustrated article. Quote, The greatest danger was clearly at the wave pool, introduced in 1981, where on hot days as many as a thousand people would wade into a 100 by 200 odd foot basin, in which one of the country's first mechanical wave machines produced a greater than three foot swale. The customer base included thousands of New Yorkers who couldn't swim, but figured they could. Body surfers would crash into each other in the crowd, and strugglers could quickly disappear into the dark bottom. The wave pool was legitimately terrifying, says DeBerry, and he was a lifeguard. Rescues are rare at most ocean beaches, but Action Park lifeguards made up to 30 a day. It was simply the norm, says Simmons. At one point, staff decided that if a visitor was pulled out, he or she had to wear a wristband that read CFS, Can't Fucking Swim, end quote. So, apparently the park never thought to give life vests to the guests. A lot of people who had been to the beach but not a pool were also unprepared for how much harder it is to float if you're a weak swimmer. It's really hard to float in chlorine and much easier in salt water. Also, the wave pool's deep end apparently just 
dropped off, which is how most people found out that there was a deep end. So that's a really easy way to get yourself into trouble. Also in 1982, 27-year-old Jeffrey Nathan collapsed and died on the whitewater kayak experience. To quote weirdnewjersey.com, which has, um, they have a great piece about Action Park, and uh, they have a whole bunch of memories of it from people who had been there. So this is from that page, and I will link to it in our sources so you can read them all. Quote, the kayak ride, which allowed people to paddle tiny boats through white water, was never very successful because it was short and the kayaks would get stuck in their own tracks. It was particularly unlucky for one 27-year-old man from Long Island in the summer of 1982. He fell or got out of his kayak and, in the process of trying to get it back, stepped near an exposed wire that was underwater. He was taken to a nearby hospital in New York State where he was pronounced dead. Two of his family members were also electrocuted but lived. Despite park officials' denials, the coroner's report proved that the man died from cardiac arrest due to electrical shock. Action Park was quick to point out that the victim didn't have any burns, but the coroner said, you don't have burns when you're in the water like that. When you're wet, you're a dead ringer for a good electrical shock. A wiring defect, described as either a nick or a 7-inch gash, depending on whose account of the findings you read, was later determined to be the cause of electrocution. The ride, drained for investigation, was never opened again, because as a park official told the New Jersey Herald at the time, quote, people will always be intimidated by it, end quote. Intimidated. I mean, that's one word for self-preservation. The park was starting to get a reputation. Tammy remembers that ride and remembers when the electrocution happened and was young enough at the time to think maybe the water was electrified, which is actually a really scary thought if you're a kid. You know, it's scarier though, at least for some of you. One of the ponds on the property that was a popular swimming hole and I think a spot where some of the water slides dumped you out from an unsafe height was also full of snakes. Yeah. Here's an account by Chris Gethard on weirdnewjersey.com. My most personally terrifying experience came on a slide called the Cannonball. When I went on this slide, I was at the top of the hill. It seemed normal. There was no warning that halfway down the ride, I would be shot into a pitch black tube. This was incredibly daunting. It became even worse when the tube opened back up, only when it emerged sticking out from the face of a cliff. This slide sent unsuspecting riders shooting out of a cliff face, some two stories above the water, with absolutely no warning. It was just high enough that you had time to think and panic about your situation. Rider after rider, myself included, would scream in terror before hitting the surface of the slimy green water with a sickening slap. After this, the victims on the ride would gather at the edge of the pool to watch others suffer the same fate. End quote. So that sounds this, like the snake pond, right? It's got to be. But don't worry, the snakes were maybe one of the safer things in that park. And I've got a map of the park I'll share. It's still not in super clear, but I think they just expected that all of their, you know, visitors were kids or drunk. So, all right. Even less fun than a snake-filled pond was a swimming pool that was fed by a natural spring. It was about 30 degrees colder than the pools in the rest of the park, cold enough to send a swimmer into shock when a slide dropped them from two stories into it, right? In 1984, a man apparently died of a heart attack that was caused by the cold water shock when he jumped from a Tarzan swing. The Tarzan swings were these 
basically it's what they sound like, just a rope with a handle and you would stand on a platform, swing out and drop into this freezing cold water. It was apparently really popular for people to, you know, moon people when they did this or take their bikini tops off or see how many obscenities they could yell in one string before they hit the water. It was, yeah, shenanigans. Here's some info from Tammy, who was actually there the day the death happened. Um, She said, we were there one year when a man had a heart attack and died on the swings. There were three rides over this one pool area of water that landed in just freezing water. I remember the sign at the beginning of the ride warned people that they had to be an expert swimmer because the water was so cold, it was disorienting, and you needed to know how to swim up. The swings were one of those rides. Basically a Tarzan-type swing with a wooden handle. You jump and swing out and let go. The other was called Chill Factor, and it was a water slide inside an enclosed tube. Think a drainage pipe. I remember in Chill Factor, the seams were exposed inside, and if they weren't piping enough water down, you would kill your elbows on the seams. Just more blood. Either way, the two attractions shot you out about 20 to 25 feet above the surface of the water. You then dropped, and you hit the water, which couldn't have been more than 65 degrees tops. I remember there was another flumey type ride that you went through that dropped you 35 feet before you hit that cold water. That day, we were waiting in line for the Chill Factor ride when there was a commotion and staff, teens in short shorts, came running and flew past us toward the ride. Apparently, a man was on the swings and dropped, and when he hit the water, he went into cardiac arrest. I remember that the area was closed for a bit and we were disappointed. Of course, we didn't have any clue what was actually going on at the time, so we moved along to something else. But I remember we were able to ride later that day. So that's awful, isn't it? And it's it's interesting how different childhood memories are and, and how nice in a way, you know, that her childhood memory was just that the ride was closed for a little while and not that not so much the reasons why until she was older. Yeah, we're just so unaware of the severity of things as kids. I've been on a slide where those seams hit you going down and oh god that's lousy but not all the injuries at the park were caused by bad design some of it was just a matter of teenage hijinks so tammy writes there was a cliff diving area with ledges ranging from 15 to 20 feet high over a pool that was made to look like a natural water area there was absolutely no rhyme or reason to who jumped when or how and kids often jumped and landed on top of each other in that area i witnessed at least two lifeguard rescues when collisions happened knocking the person on the receiving end in the water unconscious. This was definitely a blood spot. My brother, who was three and a half years older than me, convinced me to jump with him one year from the 20-foot cliff. I remember he promised me that we would jump together at the count of three, and I remember the tense and terrifying countdown. However, on two, he violently body-checked me, sending me flying upside down and flailing alone off a 20-foot cliff. I was probably eight or nine years old, and I hit the water with such force that it knocked the wind out of me. I am really incredulous that I didn't break my neck, back, or anything else. That water was like hitting a wall. There was no one to prevent this type of behavior. Okay, Tammy, so that's my nightmare. I hate ledges. I hate cliff diving. I don't like it if people go too close to the edge of something. It sounds awful. I can't watch it. It stresses me out. It's no good. The other area, as she mentioned, with the cliff jumping was just that people could just go swimming in a pool after being jumped onto. And they didn't realize that people would be dropping off of cliffs on top of them. A lot of people were hurt this way and not just in the freezing cold pool. People were dropping out of slides everywhere. You had to be super aware of your surroundings all the time, including what was above and beneath you. And you were probably 14 and drunk. So good luck with that. 
On August 27, 1984, 20-year-old Donald DePass of Brooklyn drowned in the wave pool. One ride that no one actually died on, which is a sincere miracle, was the Cannonball Loop. It was an actual 360 loop, and the owner gave his son $100 to go down the slide wearing his hockey equipment. Listen, I'm not saying that's the reason he calls his dad Gene and not dad, but it's something to think about. So Steve Braybook from Weird New Jersey writes, quote, I was fortunate enough to have actually ridden the action part loop-de-loop water slide. Contrary to some reports, there was actually some level of safety associated with this particular ride. After climbing several stories of splintery wooden stairs, an attendant would weigh you in. Someone must have decided that a certain weight profile was necessary in order to complete this human physics experiment. After this, you were instructed to take off any jewelry you might have on and herded to another station. An attendant there would then hose you down with ice-cold water. This pre-rinse was necessary to make sure that you were wet and slippery enough to make it around the loop. After a quick, keep-your-head-down instructional lesson, off you went into the Humunga Kawabunga-style straight-down speed tube that did not end in a flat showdown lane, but in a full-size 15- or 20-foot roller coaster-style loop. When it was all over, the slide shot you into a kind of puddled wet map instead of an actual pond or a pool. The only ill effect I suffered was a bit of a headache. By the time I rode it, they had added an escape hatch with a little window right before the loop started, in case you didn't make it all the way around. Action Park was a great place that stuck around a little longer than it should have in an increasingly lawsuit-prone society. End quote. So, yeah. The Cannonball Loop ride was shut down pretty quickly. I think it was only open for about a month. And when they added the hatch... So they had to cut out like a piece of the slide, obviously, to make a hatch. And the inside of the slide had like a foam rubber and it had teeth, teeth were stuck in it. Just so many teeth. In 1984, Donald DePass, 20, died after drowning in Action Park's Roaring Springs. Three years later, in 1987, Gregory Grandchamps died in the wave pool, bringing the death toll to six. In an article entitled, Inside Action Park, America's Most Dangerous Amusement Park, Founder's Sun Explores Thrills, Spills, and Legacy, Amy Kuperinski writes about the end of the park. Quote, Jean Mulvihill settled with several families for six-figure sums. In the course of operating the park, Mulvihill, who died in 2012 at the age of 78, also claimed to be insured by the London and World Assurance Limited. The company, supposedly based in the Cayman Islands, turned out to be a phony enterprise of his own making. He faced multiple charges, was fined, and received a suspended sentence. Quote, when you put a sign up and give it a name and charge admission, then people had an expectation that, oh, well, okay, this has been audited for safety. And there was always sort of a cognitive separation there, Rosin says. Ultimately, Mulvihill says the legal action resulting from injuries and deaths contributed to the park's closure in 1996. The lawsuits added up, he says, as well as the downturn in the real estate business and an increase in competition. The park, now occupied by Mountain Creek Water Park, saw a short-lived revival of the Action Park name in 2014. Andy Mulvihill had returned to the business for a brief period of time, but exited after he was thwarted by the limits of safety regulations, end quote. And yeah, you heard that right. They faked the fact they had insurance. It's just... Yeah. So, 
Our listener LH wrote to us saying, When I went there in 2012, they completely redid it. They made it into a huge mountain biking, dirt biking thing. They also added a skate park, which was actually funded by the Misfits frontman Jerry Only. The band is from and lives in the area, and Jerry has a family now, and the area where Action Park is is very isolated. Not much for kids to do, so they did a concert there. All the proceeds went to building the skate park because the band wanted a place for kids and teens to hang out safely. So, that's great. I could go on and on and on and on about Action Park because seriously, this place has everything. Go-karts, bumper boats, bungee jumping, which we're going to have to do a whole another episode on bungee jumping, the alpine slide version of the human centipede, speedboats, water slide enemas, topless teenagers, beer, snakes, that thing where you lose teeth on a water slide, but everyone thinks it's sexy. It just has it all. So if you want more information, please, please check out all of the sources for this episode. There are so many of them, and there's so much information I didn't have time to cover. But you'll be pleased to know, uh, if you enjoyed this episode, that it looks like there's going to be a series based on Action Park going to Hulu, and a documentary about it is going to be on HBO sometime, I think, soon. And also, it looks like Andy Mulvihill is coming out with a book about his experiences at, you know, growing up at Action Park. So that looks like it will be interesting, too. All right. As always, our condolences to the loved ones and survivors in this episode. This was a tough one. And so now I guess it's time for something good. I've got kind of a serious one, and you might not be thinking it's something good, but bear with me. So something good today for me... Um, with both of these episodes is organ donation. When my husband was killed by an elderly driver, we've always said that the, the only good thing to come from losing him is the fact that uh, he saved so many lives. Now, because he was an English citizen, they only took his major organs. They wouldn't take his eyes, muscle, or skin, which was so desperately needed in last week's episode, just because of the possibility of mad cow. But I'd have donated everything if they would have taken it. And he was very, we, well, you know, Paul and I are, everyone in my family has been very vocal about our wishes. And it's so important, though, that you make sure if you're an organ donor, that the person in charge of your end of life decisions, that they know and that they're also on the same page. Because otherwise, you can have a legal document made up to be sure your wishes are followed. I've met so many people who could have donated their loved one's organs and their loved one had, you know, organ donor on the license, but it's generally up to next of kin, although I think that's hopefully starting to change here. I think it's turning into more of an opt-out like you have, I think, in Austria than here where it's an opt-in. But, you know, just encouraging you to talk, please, to your loved ones. Uh, It's really helpful if you're as specific and realistic as possible about what your desires for everything are when it's your time. So like in my case, I want, if they can donate any part of my body, please absolutely do. That keeps changing based on the autoimmune diseases. And for a funeral, I just want a really big party with hats and a live band and cake and an open bar. I mean, I think that's all reasonable, but the elaborate gothic coach funeral procession, spend that money on the open bar instead. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I mean, organ donation, it's just so important. And um, it's honestly, it's the only good thing that comes out of losing somebody that you love sometimes. It's just knowing, it's just knowing you were able to save other people. Something happy, because that's kind of a sad thing to leave you on. My puppy, Opus, is a legitimate weirdo, you guys. So when this airs, he'll be 17 weeks old. He loves bird watching, and his new passion 
It's competition dressage. I was flipping the channels the other day and there was a dressage competition in Austria and he was absolutely transfixed. I'll post videos in the Facebook group. So we've been watching lots of Dancing Horses lately, which I'm going to admit it, it doesn't suck. I just don't know anything about it. Dressage is such a, I don't know. It's for people who watch avalanches from their chaise longes in some fancy foreign place. But yeah, this dog is so weird. He loves dressage. He loves bird watching. He's just, he's a funny little creature and just a legit weirdo. So definitely, definitely meant to be ours. Apologies if you've been able to hear road noise outside. We have giant metal plates outside our house. So I'm sorry if you hear any of that noise in the background. Um, Hellions, thanks again for listening to me get through this solo. I promise that we will have Johanna back next week so you don't have to listen to me hammer on. Please take a moment to leave a review if you enjoyed this episode. Come say hi in our Facebook group. It is a goddamn delight. You can find out all of our info on our website, which is www.freshlpodcast.com. And please say hi to all of your pets. And as always, if you're going through hell... Keep going. Bye.